Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Randy Rodell. If I haven't met you before, uh, I'm glad to meet you. I'm one of the elders here at Reality. Um, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I know for some of us that that's a time uh, of honoring and remembering, and so blessing on you uh, if, if that's a particular special time for you. Um, it's, good to, it's good to gather. We are in Eastertide. Uh, Easter is not just a day, uh, but there's the church celebrates a whole season of Easter between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost. Uh, and so as we gather each week, we say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, a couple of announcements uh, if you're newer here. Uh, restrooms, there's one for the ladies just behind uh, the uh, worship space here. Uh, for the guys, when we first came in to your right, uh, there's a restroom there. Um, one of the things that we've got coming up on uh, Saturday, June 11th, is what we're calling Reality Cares. Uh, and uh, Neil Shaw, part of our church family, uh, is uh, kind of coordinating what we're looking forward to being ongoing efforts uh, where we have the opportunity and the ability to meet needs for each other. Uh, and so uh, on Saturday, June 11th, we're going to do the first one, and we're gathering people, uh, and we're going to go over to, uh, we have a couple of uh, different houses lined up, I understand, uh, and we're going to go do some chores. We're going to go help out. Um, and so uh, you can find out information about that on Realm uh, and get signed up so that we know that you're coming. Uh, Paul Jones or Neil Shaw can give you more info about that. Both of them are gone today. Neil's at a wedding and Paul is uh, taking his daughter to a college visit this weekend. Uh, so if you can't track down, them down, let me know. I'll get you connected with them and we'll make sure that you get details uh, in respect to that. Uh, we've got some folks who are uh, joining us uh, online. Welcome to you uh, as well. We're glad that you're with us. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to invite you to stand. And during Easter, uh, actually during the Passion Week and during Easter, uh, we did our call to worship from the Christ Hymn. The Christ Hymn comes from Philippians chapter two, and the first part of the Christ Hymn talks about uh, Christ taking on human form and laying aside his divinity and suffering to the point of death. And so during the Passion, that was our call to worship, and we stopped with that, that place uh, where Christ humbled himself to, to the point of death. Uh, but as we find ourselves in Eastertide, we finish the Christ hymn, and we declare the greatness and the glory of Christ. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We'll have the words uh, up above, uh, and we will say the Christ hymn together. Uh, once we've done that, um, Carol is going to come up. Carol Gross, some of you uh, who've been around uh, for a while, uh, remember Carol, her last name was Clayton at the time. Uh, she uh, is a worship leader who's been a part of our church in the past, and she's graciously uh, agreed to come and lead us in worship uh, this evening, and we're very grateful for that. So I'll invite Carol to come up as we do the Christ hymn together. Christ Jesus was divine in form, and yet to God's form he did not cling, but emptied his immortal self. In human likeness he was formed. In human form he found himself, and humbled he obeyed to death, death on a cross. Therefore God raised him to the heights, 
and gave to him the name of names, that at the name of Jesus Christ all knees should bow and tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to God the Father's glory. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Reality Church, let us worship. Drink of the water, come and thirst. 
feel that way this afternoon. That maybe you feel empty. You have nothing left to give. Maybe you come to the right place. Because our Father here is waiting for us to give to us from his abundance.
Carol, thank you for leading us in song. It's good to come before the Father's throne in music. And it's good to come before the Father's throne in prayer. We're shaped by our conversations. And prayer is conversation with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so at this point in our gathering, uh, we participate together in what we call prayers of the people. And I don't see the person who uh, I thought was going to lead us in prayers of the people. Uh, So if I'm mistaken and you're out there, make yourself known now. And so we'll do prayers of the people uh, in a little more extemporaneous way, still following uh, some of our pattern. But I didn't prepare for this portion. When we participate in prayers of the people, it's responsive. 
we enter into this conversation both with each other as well as with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we pray into kind of various topics or themes or ideas, and I will lead us into a theme, but then there'll be a place where I will invite you uh, to speak a name or a situation um, that you want to lift in our presence into the presence of Father, Son, and Spirit. And one of the things that I want to say about that practice is voicing in the congregation things out loud I think is valuable and it's precious to us. But you don't have to voice it in such a way that the person across the room from you can hear it necessarily. It's fine if you do that. But the point isn't, I need to say this thing so that everyone in the room hears. It's okay to whisper it under your breath. Because sometimes there are those things where the loudest cry is a whisper. And it's good to share that loud cry in the congregation of God's people. And so, Eric, I know we have some slides up here, and so we're going to put some of them up, uh, and I'm just going to lead us into this prayers of the people. I love this first part. We start with, Father, you love your bride, the church, and we are called to love her too. We pray for Christians who are representing the kingdom in demanding places and making difficult sacrifices. We want to be in unity with them. Please comfort them, bring them joy and assurance of your favor. We meet as Reality Church, and yet we are not the Church of Christ in Olympia, Lacey, Tumwater, Washington, the United States, or the world. And my assumption is that most of us have churches that we love, uh, church gatherings uh, here in this city or in other cities. And so I invite you in a manner of prayer to speak the name of those other churches that you would pray God's blessing on tonight. And we pray, Lord, in your mercy. Father, we lift up those who rule in cities, states, and nations. These times call for so much wisdom and discernment. We ask that you would give it to our leaders, that they would be able to lead in such a way that both justice and mercy are upheld. And in this section, we typically pray for political leaders, and they need our prayers. Scripture tells us to pray for them. But tonight, I'd invite you to pray for leaders in the workplace, managers, supervisors, bosses, owners. Speak the name of somebody and pray God's blessing that they will lead in ways that are consistent with truth with justice, with mercy. 
Lord, in your mercy. Father, now we take the time to lift up to you the situations in our homes and neighborhoods that bring us heartache and concern. Speak the name of people who are heavy on your heart. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we lift up those in our world, community, and body that are suffering with physical, mental, or emotional afflictions. We ask for assurance that suffering will be redeemed and that help will come. Please show each of us what role you may have for us to play in that relief. Speak the name of peoples and situations that are on your heart. Lord, in your mercy. Father, some of us have lost friends and family who were dear to us and dear to you. We thank you for the gift their presence was. And we ask that you preserve our hope of reuniting with them again in eternity with you. We also ask, as the psalmist says, that you will teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If you know people who are suffering loss, Speak their name in prayer. Lord, in your mercy. Let us pray together the prayer that Jesus still teaches us to pray. Our Father, This is the first time that I've been up here as you've all said that prayer together. And what a treat. I think of uh, scripture talks about incense rising up to the throne room of God. The praise of God's people is beautiful. Thank you. So I get to continue our sermon series. We are looking at different encounters that the risen Christ had with people after the resurrection. One of the things that we recognize if we look at scriptures is that the encounters that Christ had with people after the resurrection and, and the experiences that people, oh, I forgot. 
we got kids that, that we're supposed to let released. So it's older kids, right? What age is Kelly? Second through fifth. So if we've got second through fifth graders that want to take off, you are welcome to do that. My apologies. All right. So the truth about the encounters or, or the way that people experienced the resurrection when it first happened uh, was probably not the way we experience Easter Sunday uh, with he is risen, he is risen indeed, and, and uh, Easter chocolate uh, that we eat and the joyous songs of, of praise and the, the prayers of victory. Uh, but as we've been walking through this series, uh, we see that people didn't recognize who Jesus was. They thought he was a gardener or a ghost. They were filled with doubt, with fear. I got to imagine if, if I was a disciple, then my first thought was, they came for Jesus this weekend. Are they coming for me next? And so one of the reasons that we want to um, spend this Eastertide season looking at these different encounters of resurrection uh, is because resurrection, I think, dawns slowly over us, and that is a gracious and mercy thing. So we'll continue this morning, and um, it wouldn't be a sermon for me if there wasn't some interaction of some sort, so just fair warning, this is an interactive portion of the sermon. Uh, I expect you to answer out loud. Here's a place where I do want the person on the other side of the room to hear. I'm going to ask, uh, I want your answers to this question to be one or two words. Okay, one or two words. When I say the word failure, what do you think of? One or two words. Opportunity. Pain. Pardon? Past. Shame. Growth. Disgruntled. Avoidance. Rejection. Fear. Anger. Frustration. Embarrassment. Now I'm looking for answers that are maybe two to five words long. What are some examples of failures? You don't have to name any of your own, just ones you've seen somebody else experience. <laughs> Pardon? Crashing a plane. The Hubble telescope. What else? Come on, guys. Relational failure. Parenting mistakes. Job loss. Gun laws. What in school? Failing in school. Losing a game. Bankruptcy. 
failed business, fired, sexual brokenness. I would imagine that you're feeling the weight of failure. Maybe this conversation is bringing failures to mind. Let me tell you a story. This first part of the story, uh, it's not found in Scripture. It's simply my imagination. I wonder if there was any conversation in heaven before the incarnation of Christ, before he laid aside his divinity and took on human form, I wonder if there was any conversation about who should we choose as disciples? I can picture Father, Son, and Spirit hanging out in this comfortable room. And they invite Abraham and Moses to join in. And maybe Gabriel and Michael, angels who serve in the presence of God, were there too. And I see this conversation going on, and, and I imagine Jesus saying, Hey guys, what do you think about Pete? <laughs> Moses is the first one to pipe up. I don't know about Peter. Lord, you, you remember that situation? Uh, where I ran across that little problem with the Egyptian and I got so angry that I killed the guy? That almost ruined my life. I spent 40 years in the Midian wilderness because of that mistake. I can just picture this Peter guy having that kind of uh, impetuous nature just like I did. I can see him losing his cool and grabbing a sword and swinging it at people's heads. I don't know that he's a good choice. Moses quickly agrees. Or Abraham, rather. Abraham quickly agrees. And he says, Lord, Lord, do you, do you remember? Which is just hilarious, because of course he does. Do you remember when I denied that Sarah was my wife? And I said she was my sister instead because I was afraid the Egyptians would see how gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful she was. And if they thought that she was my wife, they would just kill me. Do you remember when I denied that I was married to her and the hurt and the pain and the brokenness? I'm concerned that if you ask Pete to be one of your guys, that he's going to demonstrate that same sort of disloyalty at some point along the way. And I picture Jesus listening and then with a smile saying, no, Peter's my guy. And the Father and the Spirit nodding in agreement. And later I imagine Gabriel, after Moses and Abraham had left, coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, can you help me understand? Why? Why Peter? And Jesus just said, because I love him. So Jesus did lay aside his deity and he came and he was born 
um, of, of Mary, of the Holy Spirit. He grew up, says he grew in wisdom and stature. And he got to the point where he began his public ministry. And this is where Peter's story begins uh, to intersect with Jesus. We don't know exactly where it intersects. Jesus had started teaching in the synagogues and he'd started going about preaching. And we know that Peter had come into his orbit in some way because uh, we're told that one day uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and he healed her and then he spent the day healing other people. And we don't know at that point how much time Peter had spent with Jesus or what he was thinking about Jesus, if he was convinced that Jesus was God yet or if he was just convinced that, wow, he heals people and that's crazy cool. We don't know. But then Luke tells us this story that Jesus was out teaching one day by the lake. And as Jesus was teaching, the crowds started to gather. And they kept coming, and they kept coming, and more people kept coming, and the crowd kept getting bigger. And I can imagine as the crowd got bigger, the people in the back, what do you do? You try to get closer, right? And so, kind of like an accordion or dominoes, the people in the back kept pressing towards the front, and pretty soon Jesus was at the edge of the lake, and then the water was lapping uh, at his heels, uh, and the crowds were pressing in. And Peter and his brother Andrew and the Zebedee boys, James and John, uh, they had been fishing in the area, and their boats must have been parked nearby. I don't think you park boats. I'm not a fisherman. Because Jesus said, hey guys, can I borrow your boat? And so he got in Peter's boat, and they pushed out just a little ways, so that I can just picture this water barrier between Jesus and the front row of the crowd. And he began to teach the people. And if you've ever been on the water, uh, either on the shore or, or on a boat, um, sound carries across the water. And so I can just imagine, uh, I'm just picturing this kind of hillside, kind of amphitheater-like, and Jesus is speaking and teaching uh, to this crowd of people. And after Jesus is done teaching, he says to Peter, he says, hey, let's, let's go out into deeper water. Let's get some fish. I picture Jesus saying, I'm a little hungry. Let's go get some fish. And Peter says, Lord, we're fishing all night. We are not just recreational fisher folk. We're professionals. They ain't biting today. And if they're biting, they'd have been biting at night, not during the heat of the day. But, because you ask, we'll go ahead and do it. So they go out into deep water and they throw their nets over and what happens? Boom! Nets are filled to overflowing. So full that they can't even get them all, all the fish into their boat. And so they call the Zebedee boys, Hey, James, John! Sound carries across the water. Get your boat out here. We got load enough for both of us. 
and they land the fish. And when Simon Peter saw that both boats were full, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch that they had taken. And so were the Zebedee boys, James and John, who were partners with Peter. And Jesus said to Peter, he called him Simon at this point. Peter comes later. He says, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Luke, or Matthew tells the same story as Luke does in a truncated version. And he just says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from them, he saw the two other brothers, the Zebedee boys, James and John. They were with their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Peter had been in the orbit around Jesus, but then Jesus speaks these two words, follow me. And the trajectory of Peter's life changed. And so Peter begins, begins to live uh, more of his daily life with Jesus. And we don't know exactly what that looked like. The gospel writers say that if we had written all of the words down that Jesus said, all the books and all the world couldn't contain them. But we know that Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and, and others, Matthew and Thomas the twin, or believing Thomas, as Ramsey shared with us last week, Nathaniel and Judas and others, began to live their daily lives following Jesus. One day... Um, there's a story that perhaps you're familiar with. Um, Jesus, again, is out by the lake. He liked the lake, so do I. <laughs> he was out by the lake, and he was teaching the people again. All these crowds were coming, and they were there for some time, and they had traveled for some distance, and uh, it was getting late in the day, and the disciples said, hey, Jesus, you need to send these folks home to get some food. I'm getting hungry. I'm sure they're famished. Jesus says, you guys feed them. <laughs> like we, we don't have the resources to do that. We don't have the, the food to feed them with. We don't have the money to buy the food. And if we had the money, there's no place to buy the food. And somebody found this little kid who had come with a sack lunch, some fish, and a couple loaves of bread. And if you remember the story, Jesus gave thanks and he broke the bread and he passed it out, and the fish, and they passed it out, this little kid's lunch, and they passed it out, and they fed over 5,000 people. And understandably, at the end of that day, Jesus was tired. And I think his tired was a physical tired, but it was probably an emotional and a spiritual tired too, because he says, guys, 
I need some, I need some time with my father. I need some time by myself. So I want you to get in the boat and go across the lake. I'm going to go up in the hills. And then I'll meet you around over on the other side. So Jesus sent the crowds away and he went up in the hills. And Peter and the guys out on the boat. And in the middle of the night, a storm came up. And it was a pretty bad storm. He started to get freaked out. And when professional fishermen get freaked out, that's yeah, something there. And suddenly, it went from a little freaked out to crazy because they thought they saw a ghost coming towards them on the water. And terror filled their hearts and their minds. And Jesus spoke to them. It wasn't a ghost, it was Jesus. And he said, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. And our guy Pete, <laughs> he says, Lord, if that's you walking on the water, call me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. Peter climbs out of the boat. Crazy. And he walks on the water. Crazy. The courage, the faith. He starts to sink. <laughs> and Jesus grabs hold of him, pulls him out, and he says, Oh, Peter, you have little faith. It's poignant to me that he didn't say, Oh, Peter, you've got no faith. Peter had some faith. Jesus said, Not enough yet. And I just picture him holding Peter, walking back to the boat. And the two of them climbed into the boat. And immediately the waves and the wind stilled. And all the guys in the boat worshipped. This is amazing. There's a lot of ink spilled about Peter. There's a lot more we could tell, many more stories. But one of the things that I'm struck with as I consider these stories, I, I just... I think of all of the different times and places where Jesus fed Peter. At Zacchaeus' house, perhaps. With the tax collectors. Meals with the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. There were probably several meals that they shared with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And finally, there was the last Passover meal that they shared together. Things were starting to get pretty intense. The week prior, the crowds as Jesus came into Jerusalem, uh, they were throwing a victor's parade for him. They were putting palm branches down on the road as Jesus rode into Jerusalem 
on a young donkey taking the cloaks off their back and laying it before him in honor and, and praising God for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't very good at PR. And rather than cultivating that wave of feverish emotion in his favor, he did things like go into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers with a whip that he made. And he drove them out saying that you have made my father's house, which was intended to be a place of prayer for all of the nations you have made it an abomination, a den of thieves. And he began to speak of his death. And he began to use this language that if you tear down the temple, I will raise it up in three days. And he said that you must eat of me. And people began to fall away, began to leave. To the point where Jesus asked his closest friends, including Peter, will you leave me too? And Peter's got this beautiful reply, no Lord, where else should we go? For you have the words of life. We're all in, Jesus. We are all in. And it was Passover time and Jesus sent some of the guys to go into town to prepare this place where they would mark this meal together uh, in the upper room. And Jesus, knowing that this was kind of the last opportunity he had with these people that he'd spent the last three some odd years with, he pours out his heart Read the Upper Room Discourse, four or five chapters in the book of John sometime. We preached on them, I don't know, six, eight, ten months ago. Just this beautiful desire that Jesus had, not only for his friends, his disciples, but for you and I who would follow after this call that, that, that they should love the way he loved, that they should serve the way he served. That evening, Jesus had taken off his outer cloak and he'd taken a towel and he tied it around his waist and he got a basin of water and he knelt before each of his friend's feet and he washed their feet. A job that typically a servant would have done, but apparently there wasn't anyone there to do that. And so Jesus, who should have taken the first place, took the last place. And he told his friends, that's how you should love. That's how you should serve. And they served the, they ate the Passover meal together. And at the end of the Passover meal, in this in this way that had to have been so beautiful, Jesus took a particular part of the meal, some bread, 
And he took a particular glass of wine. And he shared those with his friends in a way that has become communion for us. And he told them, we're doing something different. We are reimagining and reinvigorating and resurrecting this Passover story uh, that was already so beautiful into something even more beautiful. (laughs) And they'd spent all day together. And they'd seen Jesus wash their feet. And they had this beautiful meal together. And Jesus was saying these beautiful things that maybe they didn't understand, but they still had to understand that they were beautiful things. And immediately, they fell into an argument about who would be the greatest among them in the kingdom of God. Ah. It gives me hope for myself. And Jesus says, that's the way it works in the world. Trying to get preeminence, trying to get the top rung on the ladder, trying to get the top spot, but that's not the way it's to be with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader is the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He says, guys, you've got it upside down. You've got it the world's way, but it's flipped on its head. Earlier in the evening, Jesus had talked about somebody would betray him. But after this dispute arose and Jesus corrected them, he turns his attention to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I don't know this for sure, but it's interesting to me that there's this dispute about who's the greatest of all. And then in the next words, Jesus is telling Peter that he would deny. It makes me wonder if Peter was one of the louder voices staking his claim for, I'm probably going to be the greatest. Maybe not. So Jesus and his friends go to the garden. And while they're at the garden, the temple guards come in the company of Judas. 
Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. Just like Moses predicted, Peter grabbed a sword and hacked off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus put it back on. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that's what happened. They took Jesus before the high priest. We don't have a real clear picture of what happened to all of the disciples. Where were they in those intervening hours between then and the crucifixion, between then and the resurrection? We know that Peter made his way to the courtyard of the high priest. It's nighttime. And somebody had built a fire outside to keep off the chill of the night air. And so Peter sat by the fire but tried to remain inconspicuous. Perhaps a difficult thing for Peter to do. And so Peter was seated around this fire with other people who were part of the high priest's household or just other onlookers. We don't know who they all were. But a servant girl saw him in the flickering light of the fire and said, this man was also with Jesus. He denied a woman, I I don't know him. And a little bit later, someone else said, you, you're one of them. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. After an hour, an hour, sitting by that fire, another one insisted, you must be one of them, for you are a Galilean too. And with a curse, Peter says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what the Lord said before the rooster crows today. You'll deny me three times. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Perhaps you can imagine it. Perhaps you have wept bitterly. And that's the last we hear of Peter until the resurrection. 
I wonder where he was as Christ was beaten and as the crown of thorns was shoved onto his head. I wonder where Peter was as Jesus, too weak to carry his own cross, fell to the street. And the Roman soldiers grabbed another man, also named Simon, to carry the cross. Where was Peter? Weeping bitterly. Where was he? As Jesus in anguish breathed his last. And he died. Each of the gospel writers talks about the resurrection differently from different perspectives and and viewpoints, and it makes it tough to put together a timeline of events. But we know that Peter didn't see Jesus first. We're told that Mary and some of the women went early on the first day of the week, and, and they found the tomb empty, and they went and told the disciples, and, and Peter and John ran to the tomb, and uh, John outran Peter, but John got to the doorway and couldn't go in. Peter, impetuous, ran right in, and the grave was empty, and I wonder what was going through Peter's mind. Was it 100% excitement? Was it full of doubt? Was there still bitter tears in the back of his throat? We do know. We do know that Peter encountered Jesus a couple of times after the resurrection, but most of the encounters we don't know very much about. Until Luke tells us this story that occurs after Peter has seen the risen Lord a couple of times. And Luke says it happened this way. Peter said to the guys, hey guys, I'm going fishing. You ever heard a sermon or read something where people kind of give Peter grief for going fishing after Jesus rose from the dead. What's he thinking? I've heard that sermon. But Peter says, let's go fishing. And so seven of them go fishing. Peter and probably his brother Andrew, the Zebedee boys, James and John, Thomas, the twin, believing Thomas, (laughs) and a couple who aren't named, which is just funny to me. And they fish all night. And they don't catch anything. And just as dawn was breaking, Jesus was on the shore 
And he calls out to them across the water. Children, do you have any fish? And they didn't recognize him and they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast the net on the right side of the boat. And it was so filled with fish, they couldn't pull it into the boat. And then John, described as the disciple who Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. John recognized him. He's like, I've been in this story before. It's the Lord. You know what Peter does? He jumps out of the boat. You guys take care of the fish. I'm swimming to the beach. It was only 100 yards. It wasn't that far. And when he got to the shore, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus says, hey guys, bring some of the fish you just got. We're going to need more food. So Simon went back to the boat. The guys had come in. He helped haul the fish in. 153 Caught 153 fish in that net. And Jesus said, come, have breakfast. And they ate. And when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Most people think he was talking about the fish. Do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than your career? More than your vocation? More than your means of financial support? More than your livelihood? Do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my lambs. And then a second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus kept asking him this question. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. That's the story of Peter. We're part of it. I want to make some observations about how the resurrection intersected with Peter's failure. The first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus began to restore Peter before Peter failed. Blows my mind. Back in the upper room, the dispute over who'd be the greatest, Jesus corrects and rebukes. Then he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times? Listen, to the, listen again, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded you, to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, feed my sheep. Jesus was already restoring before Peter even failed. Do you have the creative imagination that perhaps Jesus might be working on your restoration before your failure ever happened? Blows my mind. Another observation, one of the ways that Jesus often restores us is to take us into our past. Did you catch the pattern? Before the resurrection. They're out fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. Let's go back out and cast your nets, and they're filled to overflowing. Before the, res- or before the resurrection, follow me. Before the resurrection, Peter jumps out of a boat walks on the water for a second or two. Before the resurrection, Jesus feeds Peter. Before the resurrection, Peter denies Jesus three times around a fire. Some people give Peter grief for going fishing after the resurrection. I'm convinced that in the same way the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry, that the Holy Spirit drove Peter into that boat. Because Jesus wanted to reenact these things for Peter and bring about his restoration. And so after the resurrection, out fishing all night, didn't catch a thing, cast your nets on the other side, Nets full to overflowing. After the resurrection, Peter jumps out of a boat, doesn't even try to walk on the water this time, but gets to the shore as quickly as he can. After the resurrection, Jesus feeds Peter. After the resurrection, Jesus restores Peter three times around a fire using language that he'd already used with Peter. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Walking into our past 
can be hard and scary. Staring our failure in the face is often one of the last things that we want to do. I wonder what Peter was thinking after the initial it's Jesus caused him to jump overboard. Did the first smell of the fire by the lake take him rushing back to the last time he saw Jesus around a fire? Did shame, self-loathing, or remorse flood his soul? Was he emotionally holding himself at a distance from Jesus? Will he reject me the way I rejected him? I can only imagine that it did. I don't know. But I wonder how often our fear or our unwillingness or our inability to engage our past causes us to continue living out the woundedness of our failures or even the woundedness that has been inflicted on us by others. The last observation is that Jesus often restores in the company of others. I've wondered what that conversation with Jesus and Peter was like. Did Jesus put his arm around Peter's neck and pull him in close and whisper, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Maybe, but I don't think so. It was in public in front of his friends that Peter, that, that Jesus first predicted to Peter that he would deny. It was in public around the fire at the high priest's court that Peter denied Christ. And I believe that there were seven on the boat, Peter's closest friends. And they were part of the restoring work that Jesus did. A couple of questions and suggestions. If you have something to write with, paper or your phone, this might be worth capturing for you. Here's the first question. Is there a wound or a failure that you would like to have healed? The next question, who, along with Jesus, might be in the company of your healers? Are there some soul friends? A counselor? couple of ideas. All of us have our own stories of brokenness, of failure, of pain. Fortunately, in many cases, there are people who have written things that can help bring healing. I uh, 
I brought some books that have been helpful to me over the years in various ways. The Gift of Being Yourself by a guy named David Benner. It says, The Sacred Call to Self-Discovery. What happens when our pain and our brokenness and our wounding messes up our identity and our understanding of who we are. A Grace Disguised, written by Jerry Sitzer. What about when our brokenness comes with the companion of grief? How do we engage grief? Unwanted by Jay Stringer. How sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. Anybody ever struggle with unwanted sexual behavior? The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. He also wrote another book, The Anatomy of the Soul, which is a little bit more technical, but they're both brilliant. This says, retelling the stories we believe about ourselves. The enemy takes our sin and then uses shame to hold us there. And the last one I bought the, brought, The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen, a story of homecoming. Perhaps your brokenness has taken you far off. Maybe you're emotionally or spiritually far off, even though you're sitting in the room. These books, these are by no means the only examples uh, of brokenness that we experience, of failure that we experience, of sin that we experience. This is just a representative sampling. But there's some brilliant books out there. One more suggestion, but before I share it, I'm going to ask Eric to play a short video. Who do we find? What do we find? 
most eventually, hopefully. And when we do, we find the one who found and loved us long before we could find and love ourselves. For we are shaped and formed by the hands of God. We're held long before we can hold on. We're loved long before we even know how to love. And like Jonah, even when we run from our calling, we most often just end up I think that's beautiful. But I didn't just share it because I think that it's beautiful. But my last suggestion is to consider art. Pictures, paintings, sculptures, music have the ability to engage parts of our brains that words don't. And so, if you have failure and brokenness that you would like to see restored, I wonder if art might be a part of God's redemptive work for you. A couple years ago, I went through the Ignatian retreat. Some of you have heard me talk about that before. And in a particular prayer time, we were praying about sin. And I asked God to tell me how he experiences my sin. And he gave me the most powerful, beautiful, wonderful picture. I had this sense that God the Father walked right up to me and he wrapped my ar his arms around me in this huge bear hug. I don't get bear hugs from very many people who are big enough to just wrap me the way the Father wrapped me. And as he held me, I felt his love and as he held me, he began to roar in anger and rage at my sin. I always thought, church, that God's anger at my sin meant that I was not good enough, that I was rejected. But in that moment, I realized the truth of what Scripture says all over the place. 
that he loves us and he roars at our sin. And so a while back, I put together a playlist for myself that I call Into the Roar. It's about 20 minutes long and it's four or five songs. And it speaks, the songs in there speak with, to me. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, I know. But they speak both in the words and in the music of the grace and the power and the mercy and the love that the Father has for me. It is vital that we look our sin and failure in the face. But the only safe place from which to do that is from within the loving arms of the Father. And so my last suggestion you want to go after healing and restoration to consider the arts look for a book or two find a company of healers to share the journey with you if you want the playlist or if you want this list of books that I shared send me an email you can find me on the church website or it's just rsrodell at gmail.com. be happy to share it with you. Resurrection engages our failures in the most beautiful and powerful way. And I'm so grateful. We're going to end our time a little bit differently today. Um, Carol's going to come back up and lead us uh, in a couple of more songs. And typically, during the first song, we grab the stuff for communion, and then uh, between the first and the second song, we share communion together. Um, today, during the first song, I do want you to come up and grab the stuff for communion, um, but uh, don't take it yet. Um, after the second song, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to explain to you how we're going to wrap up the rest of our afternoon. Carol? you've done, we will pour out 
my sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Amen. It's a beautiful song at the end there. Have a seat. So, uh, if you're here last week, or maybe if you saw on Realm, we said that we're going to spend the last 15 minutes or so of our gathering outside today. So, with a nod to my wife, I'm going to do my best Fred Rogers impersonation. <laughs> and I'm taking off the dress shoes and the dress shirt. It's one of these, right? And I'm putting on hiking boots. I'm going to put my flannel on. Well, Peter and Andrew and James and John and believing Thomas and a couple other disciples who shall be named later or go left unnamed. While they were out on the boat, Jesus was preparing a fire. While we've been in here this afternoon, Jeff and Nate from my table group have been out there preparing a fire. So we're going to go stand around a fire. And Lindsay Wagner is going to lead us in communion. And I'm going to say a couple closing words. And then we'll sing the doxology together. And my hope is that the smell of the fire will remind you that Jesus restores. So later this summer when you're sitting in your backyard or you're out camping or wherever you happen to be and you smell a wood fire, my prayer is that it brings to mind the beauty and the restoration of a Jesus resurrected in Easter power who restores and that as restoration happens, it begins before our failures take place. And he often restores in the company of others. And it's a beautiful thing. After we do the doxology, you'll be free to hang around the campfire for a bit, if you like. And maybe it would be good for you to grab a friend or two if you got something that you'd like them to pray with you about. That would be a great thing. I'm going to take our Easter chocolate down there and after the doxology, you can have some Easter chocolate if you want. So if you have kids that you want to um, go out to the fire with you, make sure you grab them. Uh, it's just out the doors and in the parking lot right there. We'll meet there in like three minutes. I know that there's some of you who have been uh, watching uh, online. Unfortunately, our cameras are fixed here in the building and we can't take you out with us. I wish that we could, so we wish blessing on you. So, stand up, grab your stuff. Let's go out there.